Hello, friendly people. Thanks for listening to Theory Lab, the American Cancer Society's research podcast. Time for you to listen to somebody who is internationally recognized as the world's most accomplished investigator in her field. She's transformed the fields of palliative care and supportive oncology. I'm talking about, of course, Dr. Jennifer Temple. She's a new American Cancer Society clinical research professor. She's professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School, director of the Cancer Outcomes Research Program at the Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Center. So how has she transformed the field? Well, over the last 10 years, and you might start with, with her landmark study in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2010, she has led several randomized trials that integrated palliative care and oncology care in a way that patients received specialty palliative care from the time they were diagnosed with cancer. And it's demonstrated um, that the care that patients receive throughout their illness, including at the end of life, improves outcomes. Better patient outcomes, that's what we're all after, right? And so in this interview with my colleague, Dr. Susanna Greer, you're going to hear Jennifer Temmel talk about what motivated her to become an oncologist. Um, she's going to talk about the research that led to her being named an American Cancer Society clinical research professor. And you're going to hear about what's next, some really promising ways that healthcare technology could be used to better support and inform cancer patients. So let's get into it. This is Dr. Jennifer Temmel speaking with Dr. Susanna Greer. Good morning, Jennifer. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's a beautiful, hot day in Atlanta, and I'm so excited for the opportunity to talk to you. So if you're, if you're ready, we'll dive right in. That sounds fantastic. All right. I think it would help our audience to understand a little bit more about you and what you're all about. I've, I've heard you speak before, and I, I would love to know kind of what, what got you started? What motivated you to become an oncologist? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, first of all, I am an oncologist and not a palliative care clinician. A lot of people um, make that mistake. So uh, I was always interested in oncology, uh, so knew all along that that was going to be my career path. And I love being an oncologist. I really enjoy taking care of patients with cancer and their families, but was very much drawn to doing research on how to better support patients and their families. So that's why I do research in sort of the palliative and supportive care space. Okay, so interesting. You began as an oncologist out of a desire to help cancer patients and saw a void. And the void drew you to palliative care. So maybe let's, let's help our listeners understand can you tell us a little bit about palliative care, maybe in your own words, and then how do you think palliative care might differ from the care that an oncologist would, would offer? So palliative care is now a medical subspecialty. So it's like oncology or cardiology or, or any other medical specialty. It's been that for about 10 years. And palliative care clinicians are specially trained in symptom management, both physical symptoms and psychological symptoms, and in communicating with patients and their families about challenging situations, such as a difficult illness or prognosis or situation. And uh, a definition that I really like from the Center to Advance Palliative Care is that they're an extra layer of support 
on top of a patient's other clinicians, their primary care physician, their oncologist, to support patients and their families as they navigate their serious illness. Oh, interesting. I love that. An extra yeah. layer of support. I know. It sounds good. Like, who wouldn't want that? <laughs> so we're going to talk about this today, about who maybe doesn't have access and who maybe doesn't want it and, and why we might. So let's let's lead into that. If this extra layer of support is so critical, talk to us about the major impacts of not only palliative care, but one area that you focused in early palliative care for a patient who, as you said, has a, a serious cancer where this extra level of symptom management and communication can really be impactful. Yeah. So, you know, not surprisingly, when palliative care started, it was primarily focused in the hospital. Because when you think about a patient population who needs the most help and support, it's certainly patients who are hospitalized. So when palliative care started in the United States, it was more of an inpatient consult service, where if a patient was admitted to the hospital and having symptoms or challenges with communication or end-of-life care, they would be called to do a consult. And certainly palliative care's role in the hospital is incredibly important and has stayed a primary focus of their specialty. It's obviously also been incredibly important during the COVID-19 pandemic. But when I was starting as a young oncologist 20 years ago, my thinking was, well, we have these doctors, nurses, social workers who are specially trained in basically trying to help people have the best quality of life possible with their serious illness, but they're only seeing patients when they're hospitalized. And by the time you're hospitalized, you've often had a lot of suffering and distress and impairment to your quality of life before that hospitalization. So I wanted to move palliative care upstream, move them to the outpatient setting where they can see people, you know, before they're very ill and do everything they can to try to maximize patients' quality of life as much as possible while they're living with their illness. And in this case, while they're living with their cancer. Interesting. I, I really appreciate the fact that you kind of took us down this journey, which I think is a lot of where we all start when we think about palliative care is perhaps where you were and where the field was 20 years ago, which is in a hospital setting and towards the end of a patient's journey with a severe disease. And, and I love the light that you shed on that, which is that if we could start having symptom management and this fantastic communication much earlier, we could do some really great things to increase patient quality of care. So that all makes great sense to me. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And that's really when we started this research program, that's what our goal was, is to say, if we do move them to the outpatient setting before patients are very ill, and if we start palliative care early before patients have a lot of symptoms and don't have the strategies that they need to cope with their illness, can we improve their outcomes? And we were so excited that our early studies did show that adding or integrating palliative care with oncology care does improve patients' outcomes, not only during the course of their illness, but in patient populations who do have a, a serious cancer like metastatic lung cancer, where they do unfortunately pass away from their illness, that involvement of palliative care also improves sort of their end of life care experience, 
which is obviously very important, not just for patients, but for their family members to sort of look back at those last weeks and months and feel like their loved one had the care and support they needed at the end. You're absolutely right. Cancer patients and patients who have difficult diseases don't go through those journeys by themselves. They're going to bring along friends and family. So before we talk more about these significant outcomes, tell us a little bit about the caregiver. Would, for instance, a cancer caregiver be impacted by palliative care? Absolutely. So we know that cancer is an illness that touches everybody around it. So obviously patients have their own sort of struggles and burdens with having a cancer diagnosis, but their loved ones also struggle significantly. And one of the beautiful things about palliative care is that their sort of unit of care is not the patient, it's the patient and their family. So while other types of medical specialties like oncology, you know, we say hi to the to the partner or the wife, how you doing? But we really focus our, our care and our communication on the patient, whereas palliative care views the entire family as the unit of care. So they can really be uh, attending to both the patient's healthcare needs and burdens and that of their loved ones. And I do think it's a significant value add to palliative care. And we and others have shown that involvement of palliative care for patients also helps their family members and improves their outcomes as well. It's so interesting that palliative care has these major impacts where this special training can improve not only the quality of life of the patient, but of the caregivers. So help us understand, and this is, I think, we're getting into really your area of expertise. Maybe help us understand first, how is palliative care more traditionally offered? And then in your line of research, have you seen that most patients receive these services? And um, I guess, are there drawbacks to the way we currently offer palliative care? Yeah. So, you know, about 20 years ago, you know, we and others started to move palliative care to the outpatient setting and upstream. And there were a number of studies that came out that showed the benefits of that care model. So really over the last 20 years, we've seen a dramatic increase in sort of the outpatient palliative care footprint. We're almost all, if not all, large academic medical centers and most large community cancer settings have outpatient palliative care. So it's now a service that is available, again, at least at large community and academic medical centers. But I think there is still a a bias or mentality that we should only be referring patients to palliative care when they have an unmet need when they have pain that we can't control, or they're really struggling to cope with their diagnosis, or we worry that they're not understanding their prognosis and that they're gonna make choices about their healthcare that make us uncomfortable. And I think the challenge with that approach is that we know that when we involve palliative care earlier, they have time to develop a relationship and rapport with patients and their families so that when they hit those bumps in the road of uncontrolled pain or having to talk about prognosis, the relationship is already there and it just makes it easier 
But when we bring palliative care in, you know, months or years after the diagnosis, it's just harder for them to establish that relationship and trust with patients and their families in a way that really enables them to be an effective part of the care team. It's, it's certainly possible, but I think the strategy of having patients meet palliative care early and understand that palliative care is part of their team. It's like their oncology infusion nurse, their oncologist, their oncology social worker, we're all working together with a shared goal of supporting patients and their families as much as possible. It's just a better strategy. So interesting. So I love that you shared that palliative care is, and in the, earlier in the podcast, you shared that it's a subspecialty focusing on symptom management, communication around tough topics, pain and diagnosis and prognosis. And what I hear you saying is that the earlier we establish relationships built on trust, the easier it can be to have hard conversations down the road and the earlier we can intervene to make not only these hard conversations, but the outcomes so much easier for patients and families to navigate. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we've all had the experience when we have a primary care doctor who takes care of us for 10 or 15 years and they retire and we have to meet someone new. It just, it takes time to establish that relationship and trust. Or for example, if you do have a, a serious illness and need to see a cardiologist and you need to change institutions, you know, when you're midway through a problem, it's just, it never really feels the same. You never really feel like your clinicians know you, like the clinicians that made the diagnosis and were there from the beginning. So I think involving palliative care from the beginning, even if a patient's kind of doing okay and doesn't have a lot of healthcare needs and they don't need to see palliative care all the time, but just introducing them early that, you know, this is a resources that we have. This group, these individuals are part of your care team. I think that the approach and the perception that patients have about it is is different and more positive when we involve them earlier rather than later. Okay, so do most patients move down that trajectory that where you say we would really like to involve palliative care from the beginning, this is a fantastic resource, so ballpark it for us. Is, is this a place where you see most cancer patients or not? So I think often, although palliative care, I think personally could benefit anybody with any illness, you know, when we're thinking about where to utilize palliative care resources, because they are fairly limited at this point, we're generally thinking about it for patients who have more advanced serious or metastatic disease or patients who are undergoing curative treatment but have a very, very high symptom burden. So again, right now, we just don't have sufficient number of palliative care clinicians or resources for them to see everybody with cancer. But for example, a serious cancer diagnosis like metastatic lung cancer, you know, now national organizations such as the American Society of Clinical Oncology, American Cancer Society, all recommend palliative care from the time of diagnosis. You know, and I think your question about patients' accept and acceptance or willingness of this really comes down to our communication with them. So certainly there are patients and families that don't know what palliative care is or have misperceptions about it and think it's synonymous with hospice and end-of-life care. 
But the onus is really on the oncology team to communicate effectively and clearly with patients and their families to explain what palliative care is, explain the differences with hospice. And I think when we take the time to explain to patients and their families clearly and carefully what palliative care is, the overwhelming majority of patients and their families are quite accepting of it. So one of the reasons I was so excited to talk to you is that you are a newly awarded American Cancer Society clinical research professor. So congratulations. That's just, we're so excited to have you. Thank you so much. When I when I got the call that I was uh, American Cancer Society professor, it was honestly like one of the happiest moments in my life. And I, I am by no means being dramatic about that. But, you know, the fact that that call came during COVID, which is a difficult time for all of us, was certainly so meaningful. But I'm, I'm so, so proud and happy and, and truly grateful to American Cancer Society. You're absolutely thrilled to have you. And I... I would love to talk a little bit about the research that not only the research that you have ongoing, but what you've proposed to do as an ACS clinical research professor, because it ties into everything we've talked about. It ties into the misconceptions around palliative care, the utilization of palliative care, um, maybe traditional versus what you would like to see is when and where patients receive these services. So maybe you could just talk to us a little bit about the goals of your ACS research and what drove you to, to really want to put forward this proposal. Absolutely. I am so incredibly excited about it. And I do feel like, you know, this proposal is really the culmination of, of 20 years of research. Um, so it's really so exciting to see it come to fruition. So I think one way to think about the approach of my American Cancer Society proposal, which is basically using a variety of sort of healthcare technology to better support and inform patients um, as they navigate their cancer diagnosis, is just to think about how healthcare has changed over the last 50 years. I have not been practicing for 50 years. I've only been practicing for about 20 years. When we look back to sort of how healthcare used to be for our parents and grandparents, you know, the hospital was a place that people, I wouldn't say they liked to go to, but it was a, a positive experience. You know, when, when women had children, they would be in the hospital for a week. And when they needed healthcare, they would spend a great deal of time, you know, at their healthcare setting. And over the last decades, the thinking about how people should receive healthcare has dramatically changed. Now, for a variety of reasons, our goal is to keep people out of the hospital, minimize their length of stay, even in the ambulatory care setting. You know, our goal is to minimize the amount of time that people spend at an at a outpatient institution for a variety of reasons, you know, healthcare costs, but also patient preferences in that life has gotten very complicated and taking time out of a busy day to spend time in a, in a clinic or a hospital is inconvenient for patients. But the challenge with that is if patients are spending less time with their healthcare providers, they're not always getting the education, the support, and the information that they need. And especially when they have complex diagnoses like cancer, and are receiving complex treatments like chemotherapy, targeted therapy, immunotherapy, if they're not spending 
a great deal of time with their healthcare providers, how do they get educated about what their diagnosis and treatment means? How do they receive the information about what to be doing about their pain or their nausea? And how do they get the support to cope with their illness? And so really the goal of the American Cancer Society projects are to help patients receive these types of services in their home setting so that they're not reliant on coming to the hospital or the clinic to see providers, receive information, and receive education. Wow, this is so exciting. So how, how will you do it? How, how, how do you take what <laughs> is a system, right, that is so embedded that, right, you go and you see your clinician and your oncologist and in an inpatient setting, you have and you're right, what could be a very truncated conversation and experience, all in an effort to reduce costs and inconvenience and to get a patient back to an environment where they are maybe, I want to say more at home, but literally at home and potentially happier. Um, so how will you do it? How do you kind of cross this information void? and help them to receive this really vital information about complex diseases and treatments, but in a setting where they are comfortable and cared for at home. So the, the wonderful thing about today is technology is advancing incredibly quickly, and lots of people are thinking about how to use these technologies for healthcare. And so the American Cancer Society uh, professor projects are really focusing on how to use technology to deliver these types of services. And we have focused on three technologies. Um, the first is using telehealth or video visits so that clinicians can meet with patients and families in the convenience of their home. The second modality is using video as a means of education. So for example, we know when we give people a piece of paper that says, here's your chemotherapy side effects, usually that piece of paper goes in the trash or hopefully the recycling bin and that patients or families really don't understand side effects from reading a piece of paper. So trying to use video as a more effective means to educate patients. And then the third modality that we're using, and I would say this is the one that we are investing a lot of resources and efforts in, is using mobile apps to deliver supportive care. So things like psychological support for caregivers or even palliative care for patients, can we develop mobile apps that will provide some of the education, the strategies and the tools people need to navigate their illness by using a mobile app. Maybe you can give us a little sneak peek and tell us how, how you're doing, how successful is this? In the very beginning of our conversation, you shared with us that palliative care is all about symptom management and communication, where we are drilling down to unmet needs around pain and difficult diagnoses and difficult maybe prognosis. So have you seen that through telehealth visits and videos, which I love that because you can watch a video again and again until you really maybe understand it and don't miss something. And then mobile apps, are, are you being successful in this space of overcoming what sounds to me just like a communication void? Yeah, our early experience has been 
Absolutely fantastic. I think, um, you know, when we started our work using telehealth, which when I say telehealth, I'm talking about using video visits with clinicians and patients or their caregivers, you know, pre-COVID, frankly, there was some reluctance on the part of both patients and clinicians to do video visits. But certainly during COVID-19, we've all learned that we, we can practice medicine using video. But we've had some studies where we've been delivering palliative care using video visits for the last few years. And overall, our clinicians and our patients and their families really value the care. And some examples, there's many examples of why video visits is a, a wonderful modality for palliative care, but a few examples are, you know, often or always when patients see palliative care, you know, they see them in a, in a clinic room, like the same clinic room where you see your primary care physician or your oncologist. And, you know, nowadays clinic rooms are prettier than they used to be, that there's often some nice artwork or maybe a plant. But it's still a, a clinic. It feels very medical. Whereas when you do a video visit, the patient's in their home. They can be sitting on their couch. They feel relaxed. They don't have that, that medical weight or anxiety on them. So our palliative care clinicians are often finding that patients are a bit more at ease in their home. They feel more relaxed and that the communication feels a little more organic, that it's actually easier for them to establish a relationship and rapport with a patient when they're in their own home. Uh, another example is that when we see patients in the home, we get to see their environment. We get to see where they live. And you know, if they're having difficulties navigating things in their home, we can actually see what they're dealing with. We can see how they interact with their family. So I think video is, is really a wonderful modality to be delivering palliative care. And so far, our early experience has been fantastic. Yeah, it's so interesting to me because you think of, I, I guess our bias is to think of technology as getting in the way of human interaction. And what you shared is a really lovely example of technology facilitating human interaction and really acting as a bridge to helping a clinician and a patient and a caregiver really understand each other. Yeah, I think that's that's a really great way to put it. And I think our early experiences with both video and mobile apps is, is similar because I think, um, so while oncologists do their very best when we're talking to patients about treatments to review kind of the risks and the side effects or the likely uh, chance that the treatment helps them, we know that often patients and their families leave those visits not really understanding what the risks and side effects and benefits are. And so we have developed some videos where we actually have clinicians speak on video and explain potential side effects, potential risk, potential benefits, using language and pictures and diagrams that patients can understand so that they can watch those videos at home. And as you pointed out, they can watch them as many times as they want. And the other thing that we're doing is we're giving um, sort of a question prompt list along with the video to say, hey, here's a few questions you might want to ask your oncologist. So that we're hoping by combining the videos and some prompts for communication with their oncologist, patients and their families can be more informed about cancer treatments. One of the things, and, and you, you brought this up, but I think 
it probably bears drilling down just a little bit is the situation that we are in as we find ourselves in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic is absolutely unprecedented. And we, we weren't here when you began this really groundbreaking research, but now we can benefit from it in a space where we are changing the way that we interact with patients and clinicians um, from a safety perspective because of the pandemic. So can you just help us to understand what are your thoughts about how the pandemic has impacted the need for us really to be more innovative in this space of um, different modalities for palliative care? Yeah, absolutely. So um, one of the projects that I am most excited about exactly because of what's going on right now in our environment is developing a, a mobile app with some palliative care strategies. And certainly, you know, we, we can't take a palliative care clinician and sort of plug them into a mobile app, but we can take the communication strategies that they use with patients and their families to help them with symptom management, to help them with coping, to help them with treatment decision-making and include some of those strategies in an app. Now, I think probably most people are thinking, how is an app gonna help patients manage pain? If a patient has pain, they need to go to their doctor, their doctor needs to assess their pain and give them medication. And all of those things are true, but we know that patients can make some behavioral modifications, change what they're doing to better manage their pain. And that taking some time out to explain some of those strategies about how patients can modify what they're doing or their environment to help with their pain is important. Additionally, you know, when patients are communicating with their clinicians about a symptom, sometimes it's not obvious to them what they should be telling their clinicians about their pain, what brings it on, what makes it better, what's troubling for them. So an app can give them the tools and the strategies to think through what happens with their pain, what makes it better, what makes it worse, and have that help them communicate with their clinicians. Lastly, we know that for both physical and psychological symptoms, that strategies such as relaxation or meditation can be incredibly helpful. And all of those types of strategies are very amenable to an app. So since the pandemic started, my research team has been working tirelessly to work with a company to develop this palliative care mobile app. And we're really trying to build it probably in the next six months and study it in healthcare settings where clinician, where patients don't have access to palliative care clinicians. So we're hoping the mobile app will increase access to care that otherwise patients don't have available to them. And I think one of the silver linings of the pandemic is that things like what you just suggested will continue to impact cancer patients and their clinicians and caregivers forever because we are thinking in new ways and driven by the necessity of the challenges of the pandemic, I, I think it's just wonderful that this extra layer of support, as you described palliative care to be, could be offered to so many more people in a much more accessible way because of the things that you are learning and developing due to the pandemic. So. Absolutely. You know, again, most patients in the U.S. and certainly around the world with cancer aren't treated at places like Mass General Hospital Cancer Center 
and they're not treated at large community healthcare settings. You know, they're treated in rural areas or small community settings. And those places are never going to have access to psychologists, palliative care clinicians, or these types of, of, of medical specialties. So, you know, if they could easily download an app that would give them these psychological tools and strategies and palliative care tools and strategies, like that would be a, a dream come true to me. And the, the good news is, is that the American Cancer Society Professor Award is really the first step in achieving that goal. So one of the things I, I wanted to ask you about before we closed is how else can we help? Because it seems like these strategies and information and tools that you're developing have the potential to be scalable in a really big way. So what are things that you would appreciate, not only American Cancer Society, but also our cancer community at large to be thinking about um, of ways that we can scale your findings? That is such a good question. And I think is really um, gaining increased recognition and importance in palliative and supportive care research that there's been such an explosion of research in palliative and supportive care over the last 20 years. And we've learned about a lot of important strategies, some of which I mentioned today and some I didn't like uh, activity monitoring and symptom monitoring. And now the question is how do we disseminate that information to clinicians and patients so that everyone can be aware about the types of things that are available to them. And I think over the last couple of years, there's been an emphasis by funding organizations like American Cancer Society, the National Institutes of Health, to really push us to say, how can we be disseminating this information? How do we get it to the patients and the clinicians that need it? I think getting information to clinicians uh, that's probably our, our easiest is that presenting at national meetings um, and publications. But I think how we disseminate information to patients has been more challenging. Uh, we have a number of studies that are funded by the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. And with their support, we've really learned a great deal about the importance of involving stakeholders in our research not only to inform our research agenda and questions, but also to think about how to disseminate information. So we actually have uh, an advisory council for my research program, and we just met with them a couple of weeks ago, and they've given us some great strategies to think about how to disseminate this information to patients through our websites, through mailings, and other types of communication. So I think that's the most important thing is how do we get this important data and information to patients who really need it. Jennifer, it brings us full circle to where we began our conversation, which was all about communication. And I love that you are not only listening to, but engaging the cancer community as you develop these strategies. And we certainly want to be a part of that. So thank you for all the work that you're doing. Well, I'm so grateful for the support of American Cancer Society. One thing I didn't get a chance to mention is my involvement with them also feels full circle because my first grant was from the American Cancer Society. So now to receive this grant, which is sort of a culmination of my, my research really feels incredibly special to me. So I'm, I'm very grateful for the American Cancer Society and I look forward to collaborating them with them over the upcoming years. Jennifer, many of our listeners are cancer patients and survivors and caregivers, exactly the group that this message is intended for. Is there a 
specific message that you would like to share with these listeners as we close out today? Yeah, I, the most important message I always give to patients is that you should feel empowered to let your clinicians know if you if your needs are not being met. You know, I think sometimes we feel like we need to keep quiet and behave and just quote unquote do what the doctor says. But if you feel like your clinicians aren't attending to all of your symptoms or providing all of the support that you need, let them know, ask them for help. And if they're not responsive to that, try to find other clinicians or other individuals in your healthcare setting who can better support you as you deal with your serious cancer diagnosis. That's a wonderful message, Jennifer. And we are so excited about you and your team and your work and just look forward to great things to come. So thank you for talking to us today. Stay safe. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.